everyone. Welcome to another episode of Greenhouse Sass. Today we're here with me, Tiana Bowie. I am a Sup, Tiana. <laughs> I'm a sustainability consultant, environmental communicator, and graphic designer on my free time. I worked with a variety of companies in the environmental field, including with Adidas, CalStart, and Battlemetrics. I currently do work at ADAC Innovations as a sustainability analyst, where a lot of my projects really do focus on carbon accounting and environmental reporting, but currently I'm transitioning into a new role on the sustainability team here at Disney in LA and really here to talk with you guys about the future of corporate environmental responsibility that I've been exposed to and hope that we can have a good chat about that. <laughs> Sup, Tiana, welcome on. Thank you for introducing Yeah, great intro. Because that made our job yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I, I love hearing myself all the time. So. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay. Since you introduced yourself, where should we start? Where were you born? Um, Who was your first yeah, okay. friend? Okay. <laughs> what's your what's your sign? Your star sign? Whatever that shit is called. Man, I'm not that girly in the way where I know all about my astrology. I know that I'm a Capricorn. I know that my inner moon, something like that, is supposed to be something with Aries. I don't even know what air that sign. Like, what, what does that even mean? I just, I just know the results of what I've had. So something about Aries, something about air signs, even though I'm an Earth person. So like whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't you were like, I don't know that. a lot about this, and then you went super deep. I, I don't know any of that stuff about myself. <laughs> Um, okay. How did you get into the environment? What was your first environmental? Oh, yeah. Why, why do you care about the environment? What's it to you? <laughs> I'm trying to stay on brand here. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Let's see. I was in undergrad at UC Riverside in 2014. And one of my friends told me, yo, you want to get a easy A and a GE, take intro to environmental science. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. backstory. <laughs> <laughs> so I took that class, ended up learning so many things I didn't even know about. It's like, oh my gosh, climate change. Oh my gosh, our soil does all these things for us. Like there's just so many things I haven't thought about. And then after realized because at that time I was in like a business fraternity and in that process when you're an active member a lot of the newer pledges have to interview you to go through the process and in every single interview I kept talking about environmental stuff like it, basically everything I was learning in my intro class and then realized that okay I feel like this has sparked something in me and so I should go with it and now here I am a lot of years later. So what I'm hearing is that you were hazed into liking the environment. I wasn't hazed. I hazed the pledges. <laughs> <in> the <laughs> that's how we do it. Did you like paddle them with carbon credits or something? <laughs> yeah. Basically. You like shame them if they didn't recycle their like plastic water bottles. No, I, I kind of, I thought it was interesting because as an Asian American, I just thought like this field basically never opened up to me growing up so that's why I was so amazed by it I was like oh my gosh wow you can do something that just didn't focus on one type of science but in all the sciences and for something with a greater mission than yourself which I feel like is such a great thing in our field like even at brand like we've been the nicest people that I've ever met you know what I'm saying and I think that is true with a lot of other companies that I worked for in this industry it's like we all want something greater than ourselves and having that really strong mission to push us forward and uh, lead us on in our everyday being. I think that's something that's truly amazing. 
because other industries, other people, I'm sure you spoke with them. Like some of them are depressed. You're like, oh, I, I wish. Oh, like, we're, I'm depre- in- we're depressed. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no, like, what I'm trying to get at is that like everyone that we work with, or at least in my experience, they've been great. <laughs> Please keep going. We like the praise. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're amazing. <laughs> Selfless. Okay, well, so Tiana, maybe can we talk about like what your, what do you feel like is your environmental mission? I think my mission more so is more on the educational aspect. I feel like even with my Instagram, even though I'm not as active anymore, nor my YouTube channel that I recently launched, just search up my name, Tiana Blue. Oh, shameless plug. Here we go. <laughs> no, but um, I, I always was fascinated by social media and having that as a platform to be a voice to other people that you don't get to interact with on an everyday basis. And um, I think I'd, I struggled a lot to figure out what type of content to put out, but really in the environmental field, besides working in it professionally, um, am trying to do more to educate people more on the consumer aspect. I think it's interesting how there's a lot of media out there that shames a lot of companies because of x y and z but if you were to consider things on the business side you can kind of understand why it is that they're having these struggles to begin with Um, but then the other side around like a lot of companies the people who are working in these roles they're so well off most of the time and they don't really consider really think about their impacts to the environment so or social impacts too much but i i really do think it's changing nowadays especially with the pandemic that's happened um a lot of people got to really consider what's important what's not important and think it's only going to go up from here <laughs> so tiana I, I know a bit about your work and some of the stuff you did at bren especially with your outreach to marginalized communities and like you were saying earlier you know the environmental field isn't necessarily presented on a silver platter to Asian Americans necessarily. And you kind of had to find your way into this line of work. How do you think outreach and education differs when reaching out to marginalized and minority communities and people of less privileged backgrounds versus people that are brought up in more wealthy areas? What a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm pretty blunt as a person. So I'm just going <laughs> to let the listeners know. Let about the doves that. fly. <laughs> But if I were to say, because a lot of the projects that I did get to work on, it did focus more on the communities that are more disadvantaged within California. But I think in terms of that communication aspect, when communicating to more of the marginalized groups, it is really honing down on the financial aspect, because that's what's really important, especially if you're not well established here in America yet, the first thing is money. So making sure that that's really apparent in that type of marketing and outreach that's occurring. It's it's really important. When I was doing a, an outreach project with Southern California Edison for one of their outreach programs. What, what were you doing exactly? It basically, so that program in particular, a lot of utility companies in California receive a lot of money from the government. And that purpose for the money was to give disadvantaged communities money for energy efficient appliances for their home or for their cars or whatever. And it's astounding when those projects actually follow through and you can see how it makes a big impact on the lives of people because with renewable energy, they always advertise how like, oh, over time, you'll eventually will be saving money. And 
the hardest part in the beginning is actually trying to pay that full amount in the beginning to get those appliances to save money over time. Sure. So that, that's what that program was trying to do. And so I'm in that type of outreach, really focusing on- You're doing subprime energy lending? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really just focusing on- Very predatory. Uh, monetary, <laughs> huh? It's a very predatory- yeah, yeah, very predatory. We have to select the right people to use this Californian money. Get trapping yeah. over. No, I mean, I think that's super important. Like, I think the cost, like, I would love it if everyone could drive an electric car, but like, that's not, that's not even a reality for me. And I'm like, just barely not poor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and uh, just continue a little on in terms of people who are already privileged, I feel like for them, See, this is where I'm blunt a little, but I don't know. Like I haven't done research on this or whatever, but I feel like people who are privileged, they it's more of a trend for them. And hopefully it's a trend that just keeps moving forward kind of thing. Yeah. Is that kind of a hot take? I think so. I mean, <laughs> like real energy, clean, like sustainability stuff is more of a trend for, for upper class or like wealthier people, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Or is that like mm-hmm. a lukewarm take? It's a lukewarm. I think you, I think you got to add in a feather in a few more edges there. Like, I mean, do you do you think that in the like privileged part of society, people are educated enough, or do you still think there's like pieces missing in that area? I haven't quite done so much work in terms of helping. Answer the question. Privileged, but <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I think it's, it's an important one to answer. I think from what I've observed, just as a person. I feel like sustainability is already highly integrated in their culture already. So in a way, if it's ingrained into their culture, it might be ingrained into their habits and all that. And it might just be more readily available for them to make those types of changes. Um, And so I I guess in a way Mm -hmm. you can say that's an educated thing because it's like, if it's their habits, that's what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just think about this all the time though, where I'm like, even if you are the most like sustainably minded, like, you know, upper class person, like you're still going skiing every weekend. You're driving, you know, hundreds of miles. Upper class lifestyle is not sustainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you can get all the renewable. I was going to say, cause like, yeah, there's, there's like two fronts on it, right? There's the actual plan, like a low income family might drive a really beater shitty car. That's not super like energy, like fuel efficient. Or they, you know, they have like shitty insulation in their walls. So their home is leaking energy, things like that. But at the same time, they're also not consuming as much as like, it's like a wealthier family that has like four cars, a big house. They go up to Tahoe, like basically every weekend for skiing or wherever their local ski resort is. I don't want to exclude our non-California listeners. So like, it's great that as they're doing it, they're, they're driving their Tesla up there instead of like a Hummer, which a lot of them still probably drive their Hummer up there, <laughs> but you know, and they're wearing a Patagonia sweater, which is nice, I guess, but you know, like the, the, the cleanest, what was it? The cleanest ton of carbon is the, is what doesn't get emitted. Yeah. You know, like, like even is, the most sustainable, like the Tesla's, the Patagonia sweaters that still has a footprint. It's not as big of a footprint as some other alternatives, but it still has a footprint. So you know, the family that's, that just straight up can't buy the Patagonia shit. Or yeah, they just freeze or whatever. and it's very sustainable. They just don't go up there and do all that stuff. And that's not to say that that's a good way to live. Like, yeah, I just stay in your shitty house, you know. Um, <laughs> that, I'm not endorsing that lifestyle, but it's definitely, it's very a, a very tricky issue. Can you be rich and not be resource intensive? Leo DiCaprio? 
Is he? I, I imagine Leonardo DiCaprio's environmental footprint is still like huge. Is. That guy must go across the country multiple times. Yeah, he goes know, like internationally. He's probably got yeah. like a yacht with all his like twenty-five-year-old models. models on it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know there's a picture of him in a Prius somewhere, but I don't. I, just, I wasn't sold. Like I'm sure he's got right. a garage full of other cars. Wait, but but if if what he does, you know how he actually advocates for climate change and made that documentary and stuff. If yeah. all these other citizens um, listen to his message and started to offset their own emissions wouldn't that mean it offsets his because he yeah that's yeah, true he offsets his emissions by other people listening to <laughs> yeah. him because like, i think that's a very like low-hanging fruit for people like when when cop 26 is happening a few months ago in glasgow you know i think some people were like talking to like oh look at all these world leaders flying into scotland for this thing isn't that doesn't that have a high footprint blah blah, blah. it's like sure but they're going there to plan like countries climate change you know goals and policies and things like that which if that if that succeeds will have a much greater impact than just like the little you know, jet fuel that they're using to to get there you know what i mean so yeah. leo dicaprio i mean i personally wouldn't choose him as my like idol in sustainability but like if his message is working and like he was just in a movie on netflix wasn't it like don't look don't up look up yeah, yeah go watch that everyone uh, like basically a climate movie. change allegory mm-hmm. um if that's getting people to talk about it talk about the problem and maybe alter their behaviors maybe pressure their local officials local governments to do something about it then yeah i think that counts what are some examples of like good things you think corporations have done for the environment or that they like programs they, they have implemented i'm not focus so much on the programs i'm more focused on how much money they can invest into research so i know i've done hypothetical good (laughs) (laughs) no like i i know like for example uh with apple i know they have a green fund and they have a lot of their money be invested in green research so that their products can be more sustainable in some way but then the thing is when they're able to accomplish that Right. Like other companies are like, oh, my gosh, we have to like jump on board and like get on that train. So I think that's the thing that I'm actually interested in with the corporate world. It's like they can because of the money that they have um, and influence that they have, they have the power to spark a lot of innovation and drive that type of uh, improvement in our society with sustainability, because, you know, sustainability, it's not just we have to stop doing things because the fact of the matter and is also why I'm staying in the corporate world is that like, we're not going to stop consuming. We're not going to stop, you know, like loving the big brands that we do love. So if we're able to help it in any way to be more sustainable, it can have like a huge influence. You know what I'm saying? And, and how much of that do you think is greenwashing and the kind of flashy, like, Oh, look at like what we're doing versus like genuine concern for the planet by these companies. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think greenwashing is two ways. Like, because on one point, for example, a company recently said they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, like that, 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 that stuff we've been hearing all year. But if you actually look into their sustainability report or corporate social responsibility report, it really just focuses on scope one and two emissions, which if for the folks out there listening, scope one and two emissions are very small in comparison to scope three. In total, there are three scopes. Scope three typically takes up like 70 to 80% of a total company's emissions. So so just for our audience, scope one emissions is basically a term for emissions generated on site, like at your facility or at your factory or whatever it is. 
Scope two is the emissions from your purchased energy. So your electricity and things like that you purchase from the utility, emissions from that. And scope three is everything else. So your employees commuting, like shipping your stuff, your supply chain emissions, which is like very nebulous. It's very difficult it's to get hard, hard to calculate. And it yeah, often overlaps with other that. companies' scope three. So it's really hard exactly. to get. Yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. But good breakdown. Yeah, so that I feel like it is greenwash. It's like that's a form of greenwashing to the company because it's like they know that their consumers don't understand like the different levels of carbon emission um, categorizations, right? But then on the flip side, I feel like not a lot of consumers know about anything, you know, like they don't take the time to like look up stuff and which means that they're more prone to just believing whatever they're seeing. And I still do believe, like, it's not just the company's responsibility, but it's also the consumer's responsibility to understand what it is that they're purchasing, they're buying, supporting, whatever. And, you know, that's honestly, like, one of the goals that I have in the future, like, with education, I really do want to help the more everyday consumer understand, like, what it is you're buying, because, I mean, even for me, it's like, I, I used to come to it all the time, like, I'm at Target, I'm like, oh gosh, this is, this seems good for me. It seems like, like there's no toxic chemicals, like, oh, it's recycled, like whatever. And in the back of my head, I'm always asking those questions of like, okay, where is it recycled from? Like how much of it is recycled? It says it's recycled, but is the whole plastic bottle recycled or is it only like 2% of it that's recycled? You know what I'm saying? And so I think there has to be work done on both sides and it can't just be up to a company to make sure that their consumers know everything i think it really does go both ways but do understand it's really hard on both fronts because we don't have time to understand everything as consumer and then companies don't have time to keep modifying and they honestly don't want to be as transparent as they want to be because no one's going to buy their stuff (laughs) so basically like you shouldn't trust i think this goes in general not even sustainability you shouldn't trust a corporation or anyone who's trying to make money at face value if they say if they say i don't know if that's too blunt or mean but if someone who's trying to make money off you says something like i wouldn't just blindly oh that sounds good so (laughs) i i have many questions but we don't have unlimited time for me to sit here and just really on corporate (laughs) sustainability corporate responsibility girl, girl me in a year on this note, like, what are the easiest, like, what's the low-hanging fruit that companies can do to improve on their climate or environmental goals? And then at the same time, what's the hardest thing? And I guess what's the most impactful thing they can do? Like, any company can say, like, oh, we put recycling bins in our offices. I know companies that do that. And like, that, that's on their sustainability report. And then there's others, like, Amazon with their big dicks. Like, they just buy up, like, huge amounts of solar and force local utilities to convert to solar because they have that much money. Not, I'm not condoning Amazon as a company, but now that's pretty huge. You know, switch, getting a whole local utility to switch to solar. So what are, yeah, what are some, in your view, some easy things that companies can do and what are some harder things and which ones are the most impactful? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think low hanging fruit, it really does depend on the company. And I, <laughs> I hate giving that answer, but it's really true. It's like, um in the consulting world I've been in there's some companies that can implement certain things more easier than other companies and the other ones have some ways of implementing some things that are easier than the initial companies so I would say overall 
um, what Karan was talking about with some companies just implementing programs um, versus what it what else it, can they do to improve on that. I really do think that kind of touches back on the basis on the difference of CSR and ESG. So CSR, as you guys have probably heard, it's like corporate social responsibility. And what that whole world is about is really companies just trying to find some social and environmental good that really aligns with their company and making those types of programs and initiatives. But where ESG comes along, which is something you guys have probably heard nowadays, it's environmental, social, and governance. That's what ESG means. And what that's all about is actually trying to measure and figure out metrics to support all of the programs and claims that, you know, like CSR is trying to do. So where CSR is like, okay, we're going to implement a, a recycling program in our offices, ESG would come in and be like, okay, so like how much are you actually recycling in a year compared to, your, to all the waste that you're emitting? And then maybe a more deeper tier into understanding it's like, so it's actually validating. What, yeah, it's like what validating you, okay. what you're trying to do and providing those metrics there. So I think the first thing that companies need to do, and that's what they're doing now, they're, they're trying to understand their impacts. So first step, measure shit. <laughs> you know, and honestly, that's, that's a big issue with consulting because in the world that I'm in with <laughs> consulting, it's focused on greenhouse gases. And as we talked about scope one and two, uh, they may be a little more easier to gather from utility companies. But uh, with scope three, you have to try to gather data from all of your upstream and downstream of your operations. And upstream is, um, for those of you who aren't aware, it's everything that happens before, before you actually make your product. So imagine if you're a clothing line buying materials from a certain company and having that being transported to your facilities to be made into a shirt is considered something like upstream. And downstream is um, after the shirt has been made at your factory that you own, it will be transported and sold at a local retail store. So that's stuff in relation to downstream. Being able to gather that type of information has proven to be a huge struggle for a lot of companies at the moment. So low-hanging fruit, build a better system. <laughs> Build a better wow, management system. Tear it all down. <laughs> Just rebuild the entire Anarchy. system. <laughs> I'm down. It's not, okay, it's not low hanging, but it's the easiest way to build a healthier foundation for what ESG is supposed to stand for. You know, like how are you actually supposed to know the percentage of improvement if you don't have actual mm -hmm. numbers, you know? And so something that has been a little disappointing these days is that a lot of companies are getting pressured by their investors and stakeholders and customers to have something implemented in less than a year. And it's like, motherfucker, you want me? You, I'm, <laughs> I'm a $5 billion company and I'm global. And you want me to like have science-based targets for all of my carbon emissions and have all that data gathered in like two months? Like, fuck you. Like, that's honestly like, that's how I feel. You should be a CEO. That's a great CEO response. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. No, I was like, no, okay. okay. Um, you know maybe. my net worth? 
maybe cut that out <laughs> or not but no that's no funny. i mean it is like a big ask and it's like a, a i don't know it's weird to think you know like sometimes like you're a business you're not in the business of like being this like you know environmental do-gooder you're in the business of business like making money and products and things and that expectation is a this is a recent development that's a big ask. <laughs> well, so Tiana, what's your what's your take on Disney? Are they good on, you know, CSR? Are they making, you know, environmental moves? What's what's your uh, early pre-starting at the <laughs> Disney <laughs> take on them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, overall, I didn't look too much into what they're doing, but I, I understand where they're at at the moment. And in speaking to some of the managers and directors during my interview process, got a better understanding of where they're at. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say, okay, I won't get too much into detail, but something that I was trying to get at with explaining how there are a lot of companies, really big global companies who are feeling this push to do something now in such a short time frame. What that equates to is not having a strong, basis and a strong foundation because they're more focused on having an output product of goals and targets versus having accurate and precise data. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. within, within uh, my world and uh, carbon emissions, so that's all I can talk about, to be honest. But in the world of calculating carbon emissions, there's different tiers of data quality that you can provide to us to make some targets and goals and estimations on your emissions. Basically, a lot of clients, you know, like they're more pushed with trying to get to where their investors are, the stakeholders are. And so they'd rather give us the lowest quality of data just to have something there for their stakeholders and investors. You know what I'm saying? Whereas what I feel like it should be, and this is kind of where I'm going at with Disney at the moment, I feel like from what they're saying, they want to take things a little slower, which is great because they'd rather take the time to understand themselves as a company and how they operate and like where they can have great, greatest impact versus trying to just rush, rush a process. And so I guess that's where I can say of where they're at. I don't want to Sounds say like corporate talk for really we don't really give a shit. Huh? <laughs> no, it's not that. Like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> they could at no, least like, put some recycling bins in their movies. Shit. No, come on. <laughs> here, here, I, I see what you're saying, and I can empathize. When I was at Blue Shield, there was definitely this like sudden push, and even like other private sector companies, there's like this push where all of a sudden everyone cares about this. But you know, I'm thinking this is just me. Mm -hmm. This isn't me, the the researcher or the whatever. This is just poor 27-year-old Karan. Idiot in the city. Y'all had a hell of a time to Oh, put them on the hot seat, baby. You know, not I'm not saying you, Tiana, specifically. I'm, Mickey Mouse I'm saying like for like companies years. are acting like, oh shit, like we gotta do it in a year. Like, what the hell? Why do we gotta do this? Like you've known this has been happening for like for like Chevron and Exxon used to bury the evidence that climate change is happening as, as early as the 60s and 70s, you know. All of these companies knew this is going to happen. Well, maybe they didn't have to care about making like, you know, recycled plastic clothes or whatever the fuck. But, you know, to some degree, climate risk assessments have to be done because a lot of these company offices and facilities are in places that would get hit by natural disasters from climate change, you know, mm -hmm. and renewable energy trends, you know, solar is getting cheaper and so is wind. 
you know, and especially that, that's not this year, that's in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So companies could have been making that move to reduce their carbon footprint, at least in their scope to their energy sector, a lot sooner than they did. So yeah, while I understand from the analyst perspective, like an analyst or whoever at, at the company, especially a big company that's like worth like $5 billion is international. Yeah, that's a hard job to then like you have one year to set science-based targets and, you know, all this kind of stuff by the greenhouse gas protocol, do like a carbon neutral strategy. But at the same time, it's like, I don't really feel sorry. I have, I have a, I have a comeback. Ooh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I, I totally understand what you're saying, Karan. I mean, I feel the same way. It's like, hey, like it's been on your radar for years on end. Like you already knew this was coming. But at the same time, like in the consulting company that I was working at, like we've actually been giving out a lot of workshops to C-suite and executive people about ESG because through the interviews that we've been having with global companies, okay, like, like you've heard their name, but I can't disclose it, but you've heard them. Like they actually don't even really know what ESG is. You know, they, they just hear it being thrown around. Like they know it's a big deal, but, but the thing is, there's not a lot of people who would actually push for those things because given the time that those executives were on that seat where they grew up, they didn't give a shit about sustainability. That's, that's you know what I mean. I mean, I know what you mean, but that's also kind of like the same way the NFL didn't know quote unquote, what CTE was or head injuries. Like they obviously had that research and knew about it way before they were exposed for not going public with it. And the, and, and companies are like, bribing politicians and all this kind of stuff and i'm not saying specifically disney i'm just saying and it's unfair again there's there's thousands and millions of corporations and you know you can't write them all off as like you know the the exxons and the amazons and these kinds of companies but you know what sorry. They're, they're on board Did, now that's what matters <laughs> they're on no, board yeah, now yeah, they're on um, board. <laughs> when it, shit's already kind of too late <laughs> Tiana's but, nervous for her to get her fired before she even starts <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, <laughs> if it doesn't come out right, I'll just delete it. Like I'll, I'll edit no, it out. It's um, fine. It's not even a big deal. Um, I'd rather be transparent if anything. No, I, 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 I totally know what you guys are saying. Um, especially because like the reason why I came into this is to actually do something good. And like the bigger companies, they have money, they have all this power. They can get away with things like a lot easier and can write things off, you know? And I agree with that. Yeah. The sad part is that if it's written well in the press, which most likely it is, then like people will just believe that stuff. And it's unfortunate. But what I'm trying to get at is that I think overall, there's not a lot of passionate people about sustainability in those higher roles yet. Like there are some companies who who had a spearhead um, sustainability from being at the bottom of their company trying to gain a voice with the executives. When I was in grad school, I took a corporate sustainability management class. And the person who was teaching the class was head of sustainability at Sonos. And he um, was just, he brought in a lot of different, really great people, great leaders in sustainability and corporations. Um, and all of them talked about their story of how like no one really gave a shit, but they really, really had to push for it, for it to be something in their company. And so I still feel like that's kind of where we're at, you know, like there, there are external pressures to do better and that's why they're doing it. Even the people that I would consult with my point of contact, they just want to get it done because they have to get it done. They don't even care about it themselves, even though they're working with it. Um, I, I, I think there has to be a stronger, 
you know, like engagement program, initiative program to get more of the workers in the company to acknowledge like why it is and why it's important to be more sustainable themselves, you know. And if you have a stronger employee engagement in that way, chances are they can they can push things up to the higher ups to have stronger initiatives. So it's not even just the higher ups having the power to do something. A lot of companies in my reporting days at the consulting firm read through so many different sustainability reports. There's a lot of companies who have like green committees at the worker level and they've been able to, by being persistent and engaging with all their employees, have realized what's important to the employees. And so it would bring this up to the higher management and then having that type of um, climate change impact, like improvement or like whatever it is that they see should be done. So I think, yeah, it's not even just at the most executive level, it is at the employee level too and what they can do. and. I think it goes back to the point of how sustainability isn't just meant to be solved by certain people. It's really by all of us in every single way. And yeah, we just need to keep pushing forward even though, yeah, corporates, they they have a lot of shady parts to them. But still, you know, the reason why I got into it is because I know it can have some good in some way. And I'm going to keep pushing for that because I think given my background and the type of story that I have, I, I really do care a lot more than what um, a company can bring me. Like I really do feel like there's a lot to be done in a company and hope that I can bring that where I end up in, in a couple of weeks. So, I, yeah. I, I do, I like that. I do agree with that. And like, you know, the reality is that these companies do have a ton of resources and power um, and, and money and of course, if, if you force them to just make sustainability goals without them fully understanding them, they're going to give us like the lowest like common denominator and like most people wouldn't even know. So you are right in that people need to be there to steer this ship because the ship needs to be steered in the right way, regardless of like I was talking mad shit earlier. But, you know, <laughs> these these companies like a lot of them are on the right track or do need to be steered on the right track if we have any chance at keeping global temperatures under two degrees, forget 1.5, like under two degrees. Mm. So I do appreciate that angle. I do recognize that angle. One final question for you. (laughs) Sandro is starting a taco shack. He's starting his own company. It's not a metaphor. This is an actual physical. (laughs) This is a real thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. He he sells tacos, chalupas, and hot dogs over in Long Beach. No metaphor. Actual tacos tacos and tacos. How does Sandro, he's starting his company, how how does he improve his sustainability strategy? Well, first of all, I'm trying to conceal the tacos or the, the hot dogs as chorizo, so don't blow me on that one. Whoa. Okay. Yes, go on. <laughs> so how, how do you plan or improve his sustainability strategy? What would be the first steps he could take to improve his environmental scorecard? He's mm-hmm. a small business, he's a small business owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, Sandra's tacos. I feel like the first thing you want to do before and before strategizing on your environmental impact score is to maybe change your name. <laughs> change your identity. Let no one know this business is associated with the shitty person you are. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm okay. joking. Noted. It's a great name. <laughs> okay, Tiana, give me, give me some tips and then give some tips to our listeners on how to be sustainable and stuff. Yeah, 
Um, okay, so going into the Sandra's taco scenario, I would say going into what we we're talking about with ESG, instead of just trying to have a goal or a program like CSR usually is, to actually try to measure all the different impacts that you have. And then once you're able to understand your impact, you can see which ones are more impactful than others. Is your biggest impact carbon emissions? Is your biggest impact water pollution? Is it waste? Like, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? And you don't know those things until you get the numbers for it. And I mean, there are easy ways to obtain those numbers. There are hard ways to obtain it, but if you're able to implement how it is, you can gather metrics from when you build your business model, that would be, that would save a lot of time in the future. And then um, after figuring out where your metrics are, see which percentage has the most impact and trying to mitigate in that way. Um, if it's easy, you know, like if it's too hard, like let's say the way that you've been processing waste, like there's no way you can change that. Like there's nothing, like just absolutely nothing. Then obviously you can't do anything about it, but if there's a way for you to have an electric truck, if it's a taco truck or um, <laughs> I have an electric fryer. Exactly. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if there's a way for you to make those easy switches, like I would recommend for you to do that next. So first, understand your impacts. Second, see where you can make easy switches. And then third, that's when you have to figure out how to strategize what your goals are and then figure out different environmental impact targets to reach those goals. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Before you answer Sandro's next question, what Sandro's ta tacos blows up goes national. They're competing with Chipotle and Taco Bell. Now <laughs> everyone loves Sandro's tacos. Is the sustainability strategy now, is it the, much the same or is it different now? Cause instead of just him in his shack or truck or whatever this is, it's a national chain. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you're asking this because it's on a national level now. Or it's just a bigger scale. It's the same thing. I think it's like you, because even a lot of big companies right now who are, who are national, who are global, they don't understand. They don't understand what their impacts are. Like that's the biggest issue, you know? And like, how are you supposed to strategize anything if you don't have numbers to back anything up? And so, so you got to make up numbers. Oh yeah. You know, you're, you're totally not going to get sued for any of those things. <laughs> and that's actually. Is that illegal? Um, there's actually, we saw in the news a couple of months ago that there was this, com I, I don't remember it to be frank, but there was this company who pledged to have certain carbon neutral goals. And then they got in big trouble with legislature because it's not attainable at all. Like they kind of just fake that shit. So there are ways of which the different reporting systems are now starting to look more at. Um, verification systems or having things that um, are more accredited to what they're saying. So they're just not flat out lying to all of us. Um, so I think it's going to actually get really intense. Like, for example, in the EU right now, all companies and organizations who have a facility there, they have to have a climate risk strategy and assessment conducted each year now. And in the US, it's in Congress, something's getting passed where the financial institutions in the U.S. are going to have to start reporting on their climate risk assessments starting 2023. And only with that, it's going to keep following with the other industries. And so I think it's, it's tough with these kinds of things 
because it's it's the right start but a lot of companies also like the incentive system has to be there or rather the disincentive to if they break the rules right like for a lot of companies they don't even have to lie they just break the rule like and they just get fined and they just pay the fine and that's just like a part of business for them you know like chevron will just dump a bunch of shit in the air and mm-hmm. they'll just pay the fine for it rather than install nicer scrubbers or like better scrubbers in their in their uh, refinery stacks for instance so i of course i'm I'm not aware i'm not super in this like corporate space to know but if there's policy that's being passed to kind of like force companies and private industries to adhere to some kind of like climate standard i think that there should be teeth on that it shouldn't just be like you should do it or else <laughs> really seriously guys you guys should do it <laughs> you know there's you know you, you need to like hit them hard if they break the rules yeah Karan, the environmental dictator <laughs> i am fuck it i am at this point they're pretty dope yeah that's a that's a good point i definitely think reinforcement needs to happen especially in the u.s since we are a large polluter um, but especially in other parts of the world and such like i know in china there are some areas where they're having more water uh, regulation there and it's actually effing up a lot of our U.S. companies that rely on China for cotton. So that's an example of how some countries are trying to take initiative in certain aspects, although not the best, right? Tiana, uh, can you talk a little bit about companies that maybe have climate pledges that seem pretty robust, but uh, maybe don't have the data to back it up? Like, I think that's kind of a common theme in a lot of sustainability reporting. That's a that's a great point. Really? I make a lot of great points. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I was just going to say that, yeah, it's pretty typical at this moment where a lot of companies, especially in the last year, have made all of these really ambitious pledges to be carbon neutral, net zero, all that lingo, but in actuality don't quite have the scientific data to back them up in terms of their pledges. But what's actually happening is that since companies have made those pledges, they're now looking into their data and trying to build some type of plan to adhere to what their goals are. And so, although it is common to see right now um, for them to have all these ambitious pledges, not have anything backed up to support that, it's being done in the works as we know it at the moment. So they can get somewhere that aligns with their goals. Can you even talk about what, what is like high quality data? Like what, what does a good like an ideal company have and track for uh, like high quality environmental metrics? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for quality data, there's, and this, I'm, I'm only really speaking in terms of the carbon emissions um, information. And that's what I typically have done thus far. High quality data would be things that you can honestly just get from your suppliers or you have just direct tracking of like how much fuel was being used in vehicles and all that Um, but the reality is that at the moment since a lot of businesses didn't build their data management infrastructure to adhere to ESG metrics a lot of the time they are utilizing spend data to calculate their carbon emissions and spend data um, that's pretty much what is spend data yeah so it's, it's how much you pay for a certain service so let's say one of the carbon emission categories is the travel and delivery and shipping of your product to your customers, right? 
And okay. um, a lot of the time, or sometimes a company wouldn't quite track like the total distance, what type of fuel was used for those types of delivery services. But what they do have readily available is that amount that they've paid to the shipping companies to send their products to their customers. And so um, a lot of companies right now that don't have such empirical data, such as the fuel that's been used or like the type, literally down to like the type of gas that is put in the, the ship that's propelling there. Yeah, exactly. Like obviously it's like really hard, especially if you have thousands and thousands of different vehicles shipping things, right? And aren't quite sure which vehicles are being used. Like, is it a newer one that might be hybrid? Is it all electric? Is it just purely gas and gasoline that's being utilized? Like at the moment, it's not something that people really think about. So at the moment, we're really lucky that there's a tool out there <laughs> that will have a unit converter for from spend. So the amount of money that you pay for a service that can quantify that into a carbon emission, which obviously isn't the most accurate, but it does give companies a good baseline to determine which areas they're emitting from. I feel like that could that data could easily be skewed. No, definitely. It's definitely not great, but the spend method is something that's a great basis if you don't have anything else available. And until you can get the higher quality data available and tracking that for the whole year, I mean, it, it is better than nothing, I'd say. So is that something that you would work on is like creating some kind of like algorithm or model that would estimate greenhouse gas emissions from spend data? Yeah, so I'm actually not creating that algorithm. There's this website it's called Qantas and they have this tool where you can input your dollar value and then it just outputs the carbon emissions. So they, within their system, have that algorithm done and it's, it's different depending on the category of spend. So you'll have some that are for waste generated or for uh, shipping and traveling. Um, for agriculture and foods, entertainment. And so they do have a categories list, which you can select from to input your spend values. And with each category selected, um, it has its own conversion value, which then would populate the carbon emissions. Do you, do you feel like though that there's, uh, what's the word? Like, wait, like if you wanted to game the system, do you think you could? Like, or do you think it's, no, not quite, because a lot of a lot of the time nowadays, you have to get things verified. So like with carbon emissions, after you calculate Who, who's it, a verifier? A verifier, they kind of just, they're just people who look at the inventory that was developed and they make sure that it upholds to the high standards of- Oh yeah. I know. Um, they're from no. like a, a board or like- Like Vera, isn't Vera one of the- Yeah, Vera is like one of them, but yeah, there, there's a lot of different ones. Like you have to abide to all these criterias from the verifiers in order for you to show that the way that you quantified this was valid. So there is some backing there, which is great. Um, and I guess something that your you listeners can figure out when you're looking at companies' um, carbon emissions, seeing if it's verified or not. So there's no like offshore carbon banking here. 
I mean, carbon offset projects, you can't, I feel like that's something that's definitely. <laughs> I don't think not, it's in the, in the Cayman's Islands best interest to uh, cheat on carbon emissions. You know, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's like a, it's a certain framework that's developed. And if you're subject to it, I don't know, like, I, I guess I would imagine there might be ways to get around it or that it's not something you are like. I feel like it's a pretty safe assumption if a company in general, not of course there's exceptions, if a company's reporting a certain level of emissions, I would probably assume it to be higher. Not because the company's like intentionally, you know, hiding stuff or like lying, although I'm sure that's sometimes the case. It's because it's so hard to calculate. Like Tiana said, like calculating these scope three emissions is just so difficult to do. And like the data just isn't there a lot of time. So if like Apple comes out and says they're carbon neutral, then it's like, I'm sure you've they've done some stuff that is good, but like if they're actually carbon neutral or not, like maybe doubt that. I don't know, Tiana, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Doubt what? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you're saying companies... that all companies are trying to like undersell how much they're emitting, but sometimes not intentionally because it's just a hard calculation. Even though he was just saying you can do it on Excel and any idiot could do it. Well, but. well, here's the thing. I mean, like the actual, if you have the spend data and then you get the emissions like inventory, it's easy to do that multiplication. But then the spend data, like you, like Tiana said, using the spend data as a, as a proxy for emissions is like not really the best because it's like very generalized, right? So if you're using one or one to three categories for shipping emissions, like that could be so variable depending on the types of boats used or like if it was flown in or like what kind of trucks were used or you know there's so many steps in our supply chain process especially for these bigger companies that it would be very difficult to like accurately measure based on like oh we're just going to use this number and then that should just cover this entire industry basically so you can calculate it easily just like you're calculating based on numbers that are very hard to actually make sure they're accurate yeah, it's just, it's just that data piece that's always the hardest part for people to get the most accurate results that they can. And I mean, I think companies, I don't know, they they may be underse- underselling and not know it because again, it's like, yeah, within the supply chain and going down the downstream part of the value chain, there's just so many different steps that are in there. And until you can have... Uh, good data tracking system in place to account for every single little thing, then I feel like it's always going to be kind of undersold of how, how much emissions are actually coming from a company. But I think the good part is that, you know, companies, since they have made this pledge, they're in this huge rush to try to have something in place. And it's really great. Um, There's this nonprofit called Science-Based Target Initiative that recently came out with these science-based targets uh, for companies to uphold to in terms of reducing their emissions overall. Um, And so in order to be verified by them, you have to apply and have your inventory all calculated with every single emissions category quantified. And then you have to have like a viable reduction rate per year, depending on where you started and have some near-term and long-term goals. And if you're able to follow their criteria of what they uh, want, then you can get certified to be a science-based target. And so I think those types of things are really, really cool um, because I mean, 
we didn't have this even when we were in grad school. It's very, very recent. And I would like to add one more thing, like in that in that vein. And just full disclosure, I also did used to do some like corporate sustainability stuff. So I'm not do you own any stock in these companies? <laughs> yeah, I'm not totally just like just pulling from my ass here, but I think big enough companies like. Sounds like there they got something... their fingers up your ass. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. The, the puppet master, Sandro. <laughs> yeah, I left for a nonprofit. I'm just watching this show. I'm not a puppet master. <laughs> you um, left or got fired? <laughs> he left. Dishonorable discharge. Discharge. Well, anyway, so there is something to be said for trying as much as I kind of don't like saying that because if a big enough company like Apple or anyone really let's say even like tyson foods or some shit like that um, <laughs> if they make the decision that they're going to be like carbon neutral or meet some like science-based targets like tiana said and like these are like you know verified of course there's a scope one and two emissions that they can actually reduce like that's stuff on site or from their electricity and gas use that is like they, they can like you know put solar panels on their roof or like purchase from like wind sources and things like that so that would be pretty easy to reduce their emissions there. With their scope three, they can make pledges like we will only source from companies that are also like carbon neutral or have some emissions initiatives, like reductions, whatever, like in place, which would then if they're a big enough company, they could kind of muscle their like supplier companies upstream to make the change, especially a huge company like Apple, I'm sure would have that kind of power to do that. And then like, maybe they're like downstream too. Like if Apple is like selling their iPhones at like Verizon stores and things like that, they might be able to muscle Verizon. I guess Verizon's kind of big too, but you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like a big enough company has that power where like, they might not be able to like 100%, you know, neutralize their scope three, like supply chain emissions, but they can make some solid steps to force other companies in their supply chain to reduce their emissions. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that that's the best part of it overall. It's like all these big companies are doing it. And so it's going to really reinforce the smaller companies or other companies who come later on to incorporate these types of standards. Yeah, I mean, there's good and bad in everything. It's just my two cents. <laughs> and keep in mind, like, yeah, they're in it to make money and course if they want to keep making money it's in their best interest to keep everyone you know if people start fucking dying because of climate change or like there's like global instability that's probably bad for profits <laughs> so, <laughs> say, less like, people so to buy things interest. yeah exactly. exactly everyone starts dying from fires and floods and like who's gonna buy their shit you know? <laughs> so like you you can be self-interested and still make a difference i think mm -hmm. And that's as far as I'm going to go in prison. <laughs> <laughs> American psycho. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's a good place to end it on. Um, thank you, Tiana, for coming on our show. And Thanks, T-Dog. Yeah. So, Tiana, thanks for coming on. Is there anything like you'd like to plug? Any other last-minute thoughts? Anything you're working on? Yeah. I actually have a sustainability YouTube channel that I started recently. So, you can find me at Tiana Bui. T-Y-A-N-N-A, B as in boy, U-I. And yeah, there I talk about career development in the sustainability industry because when I was going through it, it was really hard for me to navigate. So hope that it can be a resource to the young fellas or fellows or 
I don't know what's like the felons gender. <laughs> you get young felons of America. Yeah, Tiana will help you. She got out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Tiana will you how to get soft. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, we'll yeah, put a just link to her YouTube channel in the episode. Her, her stuff is really good. Tiana is a great environmental communicator. You should definitely check it out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and and only keep watching if you actually like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah thanks for having me i hope to have you guys on my channel one day too so okay you scratch our back we'll scratch your back <laughs> all right thank you for tuning anyway, in stay sassy yeah <laughs>